0: We're continuing where we left off in our study of uh, Abraham's life, now looking at Genesis chapter 13. It's in chapter 13 that we read of Lot's separation from Abram. I'll begin reading at verse 1 and I'll read through verse 18. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. And the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord, and Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. If you take the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at the Hebron, at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. I've entitled the message from Genesis thirteen, Covenant with God drives separation from the world. I hope to explain what I mean by that as we proceed. Now A few Sundays ago, we, we gathered to study the life of Abraham, and I spent some time in Genesis chapter 12 looking at the beginning of Abraham's pilgrimage in Canaan. God established covenant with Abram in chapter 12, and he begins to reveal the conditions of covenant and the benefits promised to Abraham in covenant relationship with God. Among those lessons, we observed that covenant relationship with God was conditional upon the possession and expression of faith in him. Now because of that condition, we said that without faith, reconciliation with God is impossible. We also observed that the condition of faith teaches us that much of the blessings of covenant with God are expressed in terms of promise those promises, those blessings of promise have a complete fulfillment in the future. They're partially fulfilled now. Now, that being the case, we also noted that there are real present benefits of covenantal relationship with God, not denying that, that God blesses those in covenant with him. He blesses those who honor those in covenant with him as well, and he curses those who dishonor those in covenant with him. Finally, we observed that our faith, which is the gift of God, and which fulfills a required condition of covenantal relationship with God, that faith is not perfect in this life. And while it can't be lost, it can waver. Our faith can waver, and at times the exercise of our faith can diminish, and that leads to trouble for the believer. Now this afternoon... As we push ahead in our study of Abraham's life, we arrive at chapter 13 and the incident of the separation of Abraham and Lot. Now up until this point, Lot had attached, as it were, all of his hopes and his fortunes to his uncle. The covenant that God had made with Abraham was not a secret. It certainly is not presented in Scripture as a secret. Abraham almost certainly would have communicated the original call of God to his nephew, when they left Haran together, I can't imagine Lot not asking, Why are we leaving? and Abraham saying, I can't tell you. We, we certainly don't see any indication of that in Scripture. I think rather it's quite believable, I think we even ought to anticipate, that Lot at some, in some way was impressed with what Abraham had told him of the expression of covenant. And so he had sort of hitched himself to that star. In chapter 12, The call of God expanded into a declared covenant with God, complete with blessings and curses, which we just talked about. So there's really no question, I think, of Lot being privy to all this information. But curiously, just as that covenant is established, and as Lot watches the covenant produce real material blessing in Abraham's company, strife appears, and uncle and nephew have to separate. Now from this historic event in the life of the patriarch, I believe we're led to the observation that covenantal relationship with God drives separation in the world. And I'll explain what I mean by that as we continue to proceed and look at the text. So let's begin in our exposition with some general textual observations observations from the text in general as we begin to look at chapter 13 notice that the central event of the chapter is this division of lot and abraham we find the description of that history in verses 5 through 13 there's the meat of it before those verses reading verse one we find lot with abraham so abram went up from egypt he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. At the end of the chapter, in verse 14, we read these words, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, etc. So the chapter is about separation. It's about that. That separation is not a footnote in the life of Abraham. We're meant to note it as significant. And to also note that this separation event, I want you to note, is bookended by two very similar events. In verses 3 and 4, we read that Abram, quote, journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abraham called Abram called on the name of the Lord. This calling on the name of the Lord and altar building to God is mentioned again at the end of the chapter following Lot's separation from Abraham. Note verses 14 through 18. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if If one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So, here it is, Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So it's another bookend. Notice that verse 14 makes it clear that God does not answer Abraham's call until after. Lot has separated from him. That's interesting. The specific notation of Lot's separation is significant. God makes note of it. It's not incidental to what God is about to say to Abraham in verses 14 through 17, where he expands on covenant. These verses are a restatement, they're an expansion of revelation of God's covenant with Abraham, and Lot is excluded and pointedly. Now having said that, I think I've tipped my hand, so to speak, revealing that I personally don't think Lot is a beneficiary of covenant. I don't believe Lot is in covenant, uh, as Abraham is. We could say that he's a tangential beneficiary of covenant. He's in the scope of material blessing of covenant. Well, let's consider Lot's estate so far. You don't have to agree with me on that, by the way. That's, that's what I think. And I've got, I think I've got a reasonable argument for you to consider. Let's consider Lot's estate so far. Up until this point, Lot has stuck to his uncle like glue. He's grown in wealth. Verses 5 and 6 tell us that Lot had done quite well for himself in the company of his uncle. Lot, who went with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, which means he had a lot of people too, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. They were both what we might call prince merchants. He had been an indirect beneficiary while with Abraham and has now dishonored the patriarch with strife and division that he apparently was not willing to make right and address. We notice in the passage, it's Abraham who steps up and deals with the issue. Lot now chooses to operate outside the scope of the blessings of God's covenant with Abraham, and as we press ahead into our study, we'll soon discover that Lot's choice comes with very bad consequences. Rather than focus on those events in Lot's life at this time, we'll eventually get to those in our study. Instead, I want us to focus how the covenant with with God, which Abraham enjoyed, it produced two very different outcomes in relationships in the world. In Abraham's case, his covenant with God bound him to God and to God's cause, God's command, and God's patronage. For Abraham, covenant with God invested man in faithful relationship with his creator as his redeemer. That's what covenant did in Abraham's perspective. He was invested in faithful relationship with his creator as his redeemer. We see that in verse 2 and in verse 18. Abraham always returns to worship. There's always an altar. He calls on the name of the Lord, and he builds an altar to the Lord to continue in that calling. The Lord God, the God of covenantal love and mercy, is his God. But with Lot, things are different. Instead of that covenantal relationship of which he was informed, which he had observed in the life of his uncle, instead of that binding him to the worship of the Lord God, the God of covenantal love and mercy, instead, Lot chooses separation. There's no mention of any altar building by Lot, either when he moves into the valley of the Jordan or later, obviously, when he moves to Sodom. Now, let's look at the how and the why of this difference, this separation. Now, I said early that covenant drives this separation in the world. Covenant with God drives separation with the world. First note that covenant comes with material trial and difficulty that the unbeliever won't withstand. He won't. Notice that in verses 2-4 through we discover that Abram has come full circle back through the famine, through the Egyptian misadventures, and he's ended up right back at Bethel. There's been no real fulfillment of the promise of inheriting the land. When I say real, I mean immediate, material at this point. No real progress seems to have been made. But what does Abraham do? Abram at this time. He gets to the altar. That's where he gets to. By which we are probably meant to note that he offers sacrifices and he calls on the name of the Lord, worshiping and praying in that name seeking that covenantal relationship. Lot, however, seems to have been altered by the misadventures of Egypt and the famine and the wandering without apparent realization of promise. Only Abraham is mentioned as calling on the name of the Lord, even when Lot is with him. Lot's not mentioned in that context. As we read verses 5 through 6, we discover that Lot has grown in wealth, but he also seems to have grown in cheek, as the British would say. He's not found it necessary to call on the name of the Lord. He doesn't even seem to find it necessary to recognize the contribution of his uncle and his uncle's relationship with God. He doesn't recognize that as being to his own benefit. Lot lifts up his eyes, and he looks out at the Jordan Valley, and he sees how green and lush it is, and he sees dollar signs. While all of this wandering all of this uh, fulfilling of covenantal obligations of obedience to God, well, that wandering is just not, that's not going to feed his flocks. It's not going to contribute to his wealth the way that settling in the Jordan Valley really will. So, Lot separates and he goes his own way. Now, the challenge of facing difficulty, this is my point, the challenge of facing material difficulty, potential loss or hardship in obedience to God's command to wander the land is too much for Lot. At that time, verse 7 tells us the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. That's just too much for Lot. It's already possessed. And these are difficult peoples. The giants were in some of those peoples. He, uh, he sees, Lot sees with material eyes while Abraham sees with the eyes of faith. Abraham weighs the material cost, and he finds that the other side of the scale, the promises of God, are of more weight, far greater value than any potential material loss or supposed material gain. Lot looks at the side of the scales, the other side, the side of covenantal promise that that Abraham's depending on, and it's just not worth enough to him. It's too hard. It's too dangerous. It requires too much resting and trust. Too much risk. The faith of Abraham ends up driving the division with Lot. Lot can't weather the cost that Abraham is willing to pay. I want you to see that. Now, by way of application, my thought is fairly simple, maybe too simple. We shouldn't be surprised When some separate from the church and from believers in their lives, in our lives. We'll lose some friendships. Some relationships will evaporate when we choose to live the Christian life. The life of faith. The life of faith requires sacrifices from God's people. They can only call on one name. We can only serve one God. We're really not that flexible, brethren. We're just not. Because we realize that covenant with God comes with obligations placed upon us, and those obligations can be materially costly at times. Those obligations could cost us a career choice. It may cost us an important relationship. Meeting of our duty to God out of love for him can bring grief When it causes us to go one way while others choose a path that we can't walk down. And if we had our preferences, we'd rather walk down the same path as them. But we don't get that choice. That's the cost of loving Christ at times, of being in covenant union with God through his blood. The unbeliever will not weather that cost. The spiritual promises and blessings are an empty scale to them when they look at the scale. So from time to time, we need to be prepared. We need to expect we will lose people in our lives and people in our church. They'll arrive back at Bethel with us, we might say, back to the place of covenant and worship, and we'll get ready to continue on our pilgrimage in this world, and they'll just say, nah, Jordan Valley looks better. I'm out. It looks better. And we need to be prepared for the separation that covenant with God brings in the Christian life and in this world. We might say it's a universal spiritual law, this side of heaven. Now secondly, as we examine Lot's separation from his uncle, I want you to note that the glitter of the world pulls the unbeliever away from the blessings of covenant with God. Materialism Drives separation from the believer who's in covenant with God. Lot saw the apparent excellency of the Jordan Valley, its promise of wealth, and that was sufficient to remove him from Abraham's covenant, from that relationship with Abraham's God. Now I see, Abraham's covenant, because it never really was Lot's, Lot failed to recognize that it was proximity, the presence of Abraham who was in covenant with God, which kept Lot's head above water. As soon as Lot separated from Abraham, his fortunes changed. Notice that when Lot separated, there's no extension of covenantal blessing. There's no promise or talk of that covenantal blessing reaching out from God to Lot. It's when Lot separated, as verse 14 states, That God suddenly seems to expand on his covenant with Abraham and now Lot is excluded. It's almost as if Abraham also made a choice. I'm not going with Lot. I'm not going to the Jordan Valley. I'm not edging my way over to Sodom either. Lot's excluded because Lot got what he wanted and God let Lot have his choice. He's excluded because Lot got what he wanted. He wanted the wealth that the Jordan Valley represented. He wanted neighbors in Sodom and Gomorrah. He wanted that community. He liked the city life. He wanted to be with all those people. It's a certain measure of sense of even protection, not being out in the wilderness, wandering around in land owned by the Canaanites and the Perizzites. So God let Lot have what he wanted. Abraham, however, he faithfully saw a city that had foundations, not yet built, but promised. A city whose builder and maker was the Lord. God gave Abraham what he wanted, and Lot got what he wanted, but the two were not compatible desires. Abraham's high appraisal of spiritual things literally caused a separation to form between him and Lot, Lot who prized material wealth, things that fade away, things that are rust and stolen. Now these things pulled Lot away from any hope of being blessed in Abraham's covenant with God. Now, two thoughts of application as we consider this perspective of Lot's separation. Now first let's see the danger of material desires and wants and felt needs clouding our spiritual vision. Let's note that our faith can be dampened by material anxieties and ambitions. Remember, that's how Abraham recently got into trouble in Egypt. It's the same problem. He worried about the famine. And instead of continuing the commanded wandering and trusting in God, he ceased obeying for a time and left Canaan to go to Egypt where things appeared to be better. A little greener over there toward the Zohar, which we just read about. When he got to Egypt, he lied. And he cheated to physically protect himself. And he got himself and Sarah tangled up in a web of deceit and trouble. Worry over material loss and hope for material gain is a deadly foe to the faith of a Christian. And we need to remember that. We see that in the life of Abram and in the warning of Lot's separation. Our covenant is not built of promises of material health and wealth and safety now as we continue on our pilgrimage. In point of fact, Christ has promised us difficulty in this world. He's told us that. But in the end, he overcomes the world. We need to keep that forward in our mind. Also, let's recognize that the glitter of this earth will always possess the passion and the ambition of the unbeliever. It's their God. They have a covenant with the world and the flesh. And that ought to teach the church that we can't keep the unbeliever. We're not going to be able to keep the unbeliever. You think the church would know this. We don't offer health and wealth We offer relationship with God, redemption, reconciliation, forgiveness of sins, sanctification. These things are of eternal, spiritual, and heavenly value. These things that are on the earth that they're looking at, that they desire, are passing away. They're corrupted and corrupting, so we don't offer them. It's not the purpose of the church to build on these things. That was the whole point of our message this morning. That means that the natural man is just not going to be interested in our message naturally. He'll always be separate from us, even if at, a t- at times we seem to be together. Brethren, this teaches us how very dependent we are on the call of God. It's God who establishes covenant with the unbeliever, not the church. We're just the messenger. It's God who calls the unbeliever out of err, out of material wealth and safety. It's God who alone has the power to change the way the unbeliever appraises earthly material values. God alone can change the heart of the unbeliever to become a faithful believer like Abraham, one who recognizes the infinitely greater value of covenantal relationship with God. Lot couldn't see it. Abraham couldn't make Lot see it. That wasn't going to happen. Only God can do that. Now as a church, our evangelical hopes, our evangelical endeavors, need to be grounded in the power and the grace of our God and not in ourselves in any way. It's God who builds the church and it's God who maintains us in covenant with him. Now one other thought for you as well. This thought of of application is is this. Spiritual blindness brings separation. Lot, recall, didn't see the evil of Sodom as he got closer and closer to it. Spiritual blindness brings separation. Now, this thought of application helps us see that there's another reason for Lot's separation. Lot was, was spiritually blind. His blindness led him away from Abraham and far from the offer of blessings of covenant with God, Abraham's God. It took him away from the altars. that he Literally, physically took him away from the altars that Abraham had built. And brethren, those altars represented atonement. They, they literally represented redemption. And Lot's just wandering away from that. Like it doesn't matter. And look at what he's going toward. Sodom. In verses 12 and 13 we read these words. Abraham Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and he moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. Great meaning brethren, it was public knowledge. This was no secret. These weren't just secret sinners, little sinners, hidden away sinners. This was a society of public sin. Lot seems to have been entirely blind to the meaning of of the wickedness of his neighbors. He goes to settle in Sodom, apparently without any real care about the evil that these cities perpetually engaged in against God. It wasn't just that Lot didn't see the evil either. Clearly, as we read ahead, we discover that Lot was well aware of the evil that he chose to live with. He kind of reached out and grabbed those messengers to get them to a place of safety in his home. He knew how wicked his neighbors were. Rather, it seems that it, it just wasn't all that big of a deal to him, at least not a big deal uh, big enough of a deal to make him change his life. What's the harm? He seems to be able to say, or or maybe it's maybe it's closer to I can live with it. Yeah, I'll just live with it. Think about the choice that he made. He chose to abort staying in close proximity to the blessings of God, in peace with God, which had already splashed over onto himself and his family while with Abraham, who was in covenant with God. And instead, Lot chooses to live with those who were enemies of God, doing evil in his sight, living with those who are about to be destroyed by God. The contrast is almost absurd. The judgment for their evil was just about to splash over onto Lot and his family. Now, what is that, if not stupid, self-destructive spiritual blindness? It's the same spiritual blindness which led to Lot's original separation from Abram when he headed off toward the Jordan Valley. Now, the clearest application, many could be made, but I think the clearest application to me is a warning to our children, young people, little ones. There's a warning to you here, to the visitor also who comes to visit our church for a time. There's a great blessing and benefit to being with the people of God. They're in a blessed relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You receive so much teaching, so much correction and restraint and safety, spiritual safety in your relationship to your Christian family, your Christian parents and your church. But apart from Christ opening the eyes of our children, without Christ opening the eyes of the visitor to see the wealth of the value in the church and the wealth of value in the Christian family, all because of the redeeming work of Christ, without eyes to see that, they're, all, they're, they're, they're always in danger of separating from us. Children, young people, listen. Listen. Like Lot, you've been brought into a place of wonderful blessing here at this church and in God, placing you in the family that you were born into. You don't realize the wealth and the safety you possess spiritually. And the day will come when, like Lot, you will need to see what is of real eternal value to your soul and what is merely temporary earthly gain and pleasure. If you make the wrong choice a choice of spiritual blindness, you'll end up like Lot. And we haven't read yet. We're going to read it yet, eventually. But Lot's story doesn't end well. It ends in loss, complete loss, drunkenness, embarrassment, and debauchery in a cave in the wilderness. Pray, pray, as your church and your parents do, pray that God would open your eyes to spiritual wealth, to give you a heart that loves and appreciates the goodness of God that you enjoy. Pray that God would teach you now to not be like Lot, who walked away from the wealth of blessings found in a relationship with God to end up with the loss of everything he had acquired in this world. He lost it all anyways. Take warning from Lot. Know that you are blind unless God opens your eyes. Go to God constantly. Plead with him to help you have eyes like Abraham who could see the certainty and the excellency of what God promised. Pray that God would help you see that in Jesus Christ dying on the cross for the sins of his people that that covenant is special it's excellent it's glorious because the people who believe in that who rest and who are the beneficiaries of that work of jesus they inherit the blessings of god promised to abraham i'll be your god you'll be my people and all that god means and implies when he says that now here's this here's another thought let's consider this As we think about what scripture teaches about Lot's separation, we learn that God maintains us. He maintains his people, like Abraham, in covenant with himself, but he does not bring all into covenant with himself. He separates himself from some, and that means separation for us, God's people, as well. Lot was not to be included in God's declaration of covenant with Abraham. Now Lot's going to end up in big trouble. He's going to have to be rescued by Abram. All of his goods are, all, are going to be captured and preserved by Abraham. And then after that, Lot and Abraham are, are like this, right? They're really tight. Not at all. That's not at all what happens. God does not always build covenant with all. In verses 15 through 17, God expands on the revelation of his covenant with Abraham. But only, as verse 14 points out, after Lot has separated from him. Now I think there's possibly a warning to be gathered in this order of events. It was not until after Abraham and Lot had parted company that God expanded on covenant to declare greater goodness and blessing to Abraham. It seems to suggest That the relationship with Lot was not only not a necessary one for Abraham, but it was possibly not an edifying one. It was possibly not in support of, of the intention of God's covenant and the good that God meant in covenant with Abraham. Possibly Lot was not just a parasite, but he was a disease in terms of covenant. It seems to suggest that the relationship with Lot wasn't good. Now, I could possibly be stretching things a bit here. But I can't get past this conditional phrase in verse 14. After Lot had separated from him. That's that's a bracket before God's covenant. God had not purposed to bless the materialism and the spiritual blindness of Lot. God seems to have purposed Lot's removal before he purposes greater declaration of blessing to Abraham. There really wasn't a change in Abraham's covenantal status. But there does seem to be a greater revelation of god's intention to graciously bless abraham in that covenant after lot is gone now perhaps there's a warning here in this thought for the present day church which is so intent on making a place for the unbeliever in her camp the church is so busy trying to accommodate the hardened careless autonomous unbeliever in our midst always under the argument of evangelical outreach. But what if by doing that, She's withholding from herself a special revelation of the grace of God which she might enjoy in covenant with him in Jesus Christ. What if our accommodation of the unbeliever who will not repent and believe in Jesus Christ, who will not submit to his reign and redemption, what if our carving out a space in the church for that unbeliever is barring the church to an expansion of the blessing of God in her midst? What if she's quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in her midst because she'll not abide conditions? She won't permit conditions in the church which cause the unbeliever to choose between the material and the spiritual. What if God will not say to the church, I'll make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also can also be counted. What if God will not say that to the church because in general the church has accepted the presence of too many lots in our pews? We've refused to recognize that there is strife between us. I think we need to consider how much we tolerate in the name of evangelism. Weigh that carefully. How much time are we willing to give the unbeliever before we declare, you too must bow at the throne of Jesus Christ? How much time do they get before they hear that from us? And that be our expectation. Being part of God's gracious covenant of redemption means that like Lot and Abraham, the day should come when we can no longer remain together without strife. They have their wealth. We have ours. They're on opposite sides of the scale. How can two walk together unless they both agree? And brethren... We are not to agree with the unbeliever. We can't. He's to agree with us. One last observation about Lot's separation and how covenant with God drives separation with the world. Covenant with God requires obedience to him and that always requires divergence from the world. Always. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Men are naturally at enmity with God. What agreement has light with darkness? The Holy Scriptures are replete with declarations of disagreement and war and separation between the people of God and this world. Abraham's covenant with God required separation from Lot because Abraham was compelled to obey God and Lot was not. Now where is that in the passage? You should be able to find it. It's there. In verse 17 God commands arise, walk the length and the breadth of the land for I will give it to you. And in verse 18 Abraham obeys. So Abraham moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre which are at Hebron and there he built an altar to the Lord. And he has this habit of doing this as he continues to move. That obedience literally took him away from Lot. As it were in the opposite direction from Lot. And that wandering life, this constantly moving about Canaan, settling and moving and resettling in various parts of Canaan, that wandering life was in opposition to Lot's choice to settle down in Sodom. It's completely different. Abraham made a choice in obedience to God, in keeping with his covenantal obligations to God, to separate in location and lifestyle from Lot a completely different lifestyle and lot chose the same in denial of covenantal obligation to god we can't separate that thought either lot chose to violate covenant now for this reason i've said that the covenantal relationship with god drives division with the world i think we can't help but see that in the passage the christian must obey christ Because he loves Christ. He's been made to love Christ and obey him. The Christian, like David, delights in the law of God. The Christian is constantly wandering in this world, as it were, never settling down to live with and in the same manner as the wicked, but always we're on the edge of another moral move. Always. We're always anticipating, or we should be, another place at which we're going to have to draw a line and separate from the world. The world goes one way, away from our God, and we go in sanctification closer to him. Now that's the final thought I have for us this afternoon as we wrap up our study of Genesis 13. Remember that we are children of Abraham who have inherited the promises made to him. We've inherited them in Jesus Christ, and that means we are the servants of the Lord, we're the people of his pasture, we're the sheep of his hand. We live how he commands, and that means, not infrequently, we will find that our acquaintances in this world go one way, and we have to go another. We should anticipate that, that's all I'm saying. You want to boil down my message, that's it. We should expect it. We should plan ahead to determine ourselves by God's grace to be choosing obedience to him every time there's a diversion. Every time we're we're to question whether it's time to separate. We're to choose obedience to him. Let the unbeliever have the Jordan Valley. Let him have it. Let him have that area and those riches. Remember what happened to the Jordan Valley. Eventually, God destroyed it, burying it and its peoples under fire and brimstone. Brethren, that day is also coming again, is it not? It's coming again. A day when covenant with God will require that those not in covenant with him must be scoured away from the earth with fire and brimstone. That day is coming, so let's not envy the freedom of the unbeliever to choose the Jordan Valley. Let him have it better to be like Abraham to accept the separation and build an altar to the Lord obediently following his calling obediently following him and calling on his name that's our choice amen we'll stop there